You're listening to the New Life Church Sunday Morning Podcast. We're a family of believers in Anderson, Missouri, that want to experience God in a real way, both inside and outside the walls of a building. For more Sunday messages, upcoming events, or to get in touch, visit new-life-church.net. Last week, we closed out 2018 and ring in the new year by looking at the first 11 verses of chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians. We are nearing the end of our time in this letter and I, and I hope it's not a thank goodness we're almost there. I hope it's more of a, a seeing the parting of a friend, a loved one, uh, that it's more of a, hey, I'm going to miss, miss this. Uh, not because of me speaking it by any means, but because of the Word of God in this letter inspired by the Holy Spirit that Paul wrote to this church in Thessalonica that it would be that way and that you would revisit this in your own personal times of study. But last week, we looked at it and uh, we looked at it through the lens, two lenses of living a life of purpose and that we have a rescuer. And that to live a life of purpose... We say that we must say no to spiritual sleepiness, to spiritual grogginess, uh, saying no to physical drunkenness, to spiritual drunkenness, meaning on the spiritual side of things of that we are testing the false prophecies out there. We're not letting them cloud our judgment or our thoughts. We're staying true to God's word. We're not taking one little thing there and discounting everything in God's word. But instead, we're saying yes to staying spiritually awake, saying yes to remaining sober, saying yes to being self-controlled. And as we looked at last week, as we look at each week, our answer, our solution is Christ, our rescuer. And it's through him that we can have that life of purpose. We can live our life of purpose this year in 2019 and every year and every day going forward. You see, through him, our faith reflects a confidence. Our love declares a loyalty and hope provides security, as that one commentator put it. We can believe what God says by faith. We can do what God requires out of love. And we can trust what God promises because of hope. And we can truly believe this by spending that consistent time in study and prayer of his word. And so this morning, as we read earlier, verses 12 through 22, we'll continue on. But I want to I set up a base camp, so to speak. You know, if you've ever gone on a long hike or something, one method of doing so is to go out partway and set up a base camp and then explore different trails from around it. I got to experience this with some friends several years back, and it's my favorite way to hike. To just go out for like 20 or 30 miles straight and you're just, you can barely carry anything, you know, it's about as light as possible. But when you go in a couple miles and set up a base camp, I mean, we hauled in steaks and fish and, you know, we did it right. We're like, hey, I can handle a 120 pound backpack for a couple of miles in <laughs> and set up everything. I mean, we ate like kings and then we'd go out during the day or if you didn't feel like going out, you just sit around the fire and read and... It was nice. So we're going to kind of do that here in the second part of verse 21 and then in verse 22. And that says, hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. So if you would kind of set up a base camp in your mind, 
on that. It's also the title of our message today, To Embrace Good and Avoid Evil. And so, in light of this morning's message title, I believe it'd only be fair to begin by answering two questions here. One being, how do we know what is good, and how do we know what is evil, right? We should differentiate that and make sure we are all on the same page there. In an, in an article posted on Psychology Today, you're like, man, Matt's on the psychology kick. I know I talked about it last week, but it just keeps kind of applying and, and playing in here. So I don't anticipate it next week, so just hang in with me here. Uh, Steve Taylor, a doctor, senior lecturer in psychology, uh, different than our positive psychology instructor last week. He's at Leeds Beckett University in the UK. He says this, good means a lack of self-centeredness. It means the ability to empathize with other people, to feel compassion for them, and to put their needs before your own. Hmm. It means, if necessary, sacrificing your own well-being for the sake of others. It means benevolence, altruism, and selflessness, and self-sacrifice towards the greater gods. Think of Gandhi and Martin Luther King are the two examples that he gives in his article. Webster's Dictionary of 1828, the online version, gives it this way, the def- one definition of good, having the qualities of which God requires. I like that one. The neat thing about Webster's in 1828, they hadn't taken God out of it yet, right? Well, what is evil? Dr. Taylor chimes in again. Evil people are those who are unable to empathize with others. As a result, their own needs and desires are of paramount importance. They're selfish, self-absorbed, and narcissistic. In fact, other people only have value for them to the extent that they can help them satisfy their own desires or to which they can exploit them. This applies to dictators like Stalin and Hitler and to serial killers and rapists. That key word there being selfish can find myself being evil sometimes, huh? Webster says, having bad qualities of a moral kind, wicked, corrupt, perverse, wrong. And I would add, that which is against the qualities that God requires. In other words, disobedience to God or sin. Both of these sources give us insight and some understanding into good and evil, but let's look at the true source. Let's look at God's word. Let's embrace good. And in our passage, Paul is going to go into that with us. What is the source of good? What is the source of good? Well, Psalms 107.1 says to give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Scripture plainly tells us that God is good. If you're a math person, take God equals sign good. What God created is good. Genesis 1.31, all that he is and does is good. Psalm 119.68, God's word is good. Psalm 33.4, the written word and spoken word. Jesus himself said that no one is good except God alone. Mark 10, 18. And it's God's kindness or goodness 
that leads us, woos us, draws us to repentance in Romans 2.4. And then when we repent of our sin and believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior, as one of his followers and believers, it is his goodness that enables and empowers us to follow him. And we see that in several references there that feel free to jot down and look up later. What is good? God the Father is good. Jesus Christ, his Son, an equal member of the Trinity, is good. The Holy Spirit, the teacher counselor, is good. And it's only from him and through him that we can be good and do good things. You know, I've, many people do what is perceived as good things. You know, atheists can be very benevolent. Um, unbelievers can give money and do things that can be perceived as good things in the world's eyes. But scripture tells us that without God, without our motive being to glorify him and please him, it's soiled garments. It's dung. Anybody not know what dung is? It's poop. <laughs> well, that sounds like a smelly waste to me. How about you? I mean, trying to do good without God, with not, not being for God, is a waste. Without the saving grace of Jesus Christ being credited to us before God, it is impossible for us to be good or do good things in God's eyes. In other words, Jesus Christ being our propitiation, being the one who went to the cross for us, being the mediator between us and God. It's impossible. Without Jesus Christ, Gandhi, Martin Luther King, Mother Teresa, and lots of other people throughout history who have been claimed to do good things are not good at all in God's eyes without the saving grace of Jesus Christ and them accepting them, him as their Lord and Savior. And I'm not saying these folks didn't. Or did. I don't know that for sure. But I am saying what scripture says. And that is without Christ. It was waste. It was dung. This is good news. This is good news. Like well why is this good news? There's a lot of good things that happen in the world. There's a lot of money given. There's a lot of things that happen. Well this is good news because it means that. We don't have to earn our way. And it means that we can't earn our way. The good news is that Jesus Christ paid for it. He provides the way and he enables us to do it. And the good that we can do is not out of obligation, but out of love and a desire to, as we just sang, adore the one who should be our everything. Paul further explains in this passage about what embracing good looks like and then some of the fruit of what that, what that would be fleshed out, what would be observed before the eyes of others. In verse 12, he's talking to leaders here and saying that they should love well and lead well. They should love well and lead well. They should work for the people, with the people, should lead and care for the people should admonish and teach and correct the people. They should embrace good. 
And then he says also to the brothers and sisters, the congregation, if you will, to love well and live well also. In verses 12 and 13, to recognize and respect the leaders, the leaders to love, to be at peace with one another, to embrace good. And then continuing on, Paul exhorts all of them in a loving way for each other to build one another up. The verse we ended on last week, right? Verses 14 to 15. That we together should warn the idle. Also, that word idle could be disorderly. To warn them in love. Not out of judgment, but warn them in love. To comfort the discouraged. Those who are down. Those who are going through tough times. To be patient with everyone. Everyone. (laughs) Not just who it's easy to be patient with. That we should warn each other against revenge. We should embrace the good. Paul then moves on and out of our anchored verse of embracing good and avoiding evil, he jumps into the evil side of things and And we looked at the definitions earlier. Sin is what is evil. A white lie is evil. Gossiping is evil. Lustful thoughts or actions are evil. We hesitate to throw that label on our bad choices, don't we? Wicked, evil. It's like, yeah, I blew it. I'm sorry. I messed up. We like to skim it, don't we? Just kind of smooth it over, make it a little less offensive. The bottom line is, is any time that we choose to gratify ourselves, instead of love God, it's evil. That's the bottom line. Regardless of what that choice, action, word looks like or sounds like. It's not just in this passage, this letter from Paul to the Thessalonians that we're told to avoid sin. It's throughout the entire word of God. Proverbs 4, 14 through 15 says, Keep off the path of the wicked. Don't proceed on the way of evil ones. Avoid it. Don't travel on it. Turn away from it. Pass it by. 1 Peter 2.11 says, Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. And to me, the impression there that I get is, why would you even dabble in it? Several weeks ago, and there was the illustration of going down that dark alley. You know, in the, in the movies and the TV shows, that scary dark alley, and you're screaming at the person, don't go down there, you moron. You're going to get hurt or killed or taken or whatever. We all know it's coming and happening. And that's us when we dabble in what is evil. That is us. Then Paul ups the stakes in Colossians 3.5 and tells us to put to death our sinful earthly nature. To put it to death. And I will admit, there are times 
when our earthly nature clouds our judgment, when you're faced at a precipice in your life at a time, at a fork in the road where you are looking at two decisions or looking at things or you're really wanting to do something and you're not sure and your judgment seems clouded. It seems foggy. You're not sure. It's like, I think I should do this, but I really want to do this. Have anybody else had that debate going on in their mind? You can just picture the cartoon characters on each shoulder, right? The angel and the devil kind of duking it out in your head and you're trying to figure this out. Does watching this movie or TV show really qualifies as sin? Kids, if your parents don't know or catch you, even though they specifically ask you to not do something, is it really sin? Is spending time online or in person with someone other than your spouse because you're lonely and they're not meeting your expectations really a sin, even if you're not even meeting with them or physically doing anything? Is it really evil to not forgive someone? Is it really evil to not repent? What about when I put my needs at once above others? The answer to all of those is yes. Paul addresses two specific fruits produced of evil. In verse 19 and 20, the first one being stifling the spirit. Stifling the spirit. You're like, well, what exactly does that mean? A definition that I came across that I really appreciate and like is despising the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit and treating it with contempt. Despising the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit and treating it with contempt. In other words, shaming him, disgracing him, considering him worthless. That is an evil to avoid. Despising prophecies is another one, which means to despise God's written or spoken word. Okay, and there's a lot of false prophecies out there. There's a lot of false prophets out there. But basically the bottom line is this, is to despise, shame, ignore God's written word or God's spoken word if he were choosing to speak this word through somebody else. Like our goal and attempt when we teach from up here is on a Sunday. Avoid that evil. In those moments when we're in that battle and our judgment is cloudy, not sure about the evil that we should be avoiding or how to avoid it or whatever, I'm going to propose that we go back to our first point, and that's embracing the good. Of embracing the good. There's the initial embracing of good in our salvation. And there's the daily choice, moment by moment choice sometimes, of embracing the good of his word through prayer and encouragement from a loved one, a brother or sister who cares about us who might say, 
Hey, you're a little idle right now. Hey, you're a little disorderly right now. You see, it's like it's like that battle is when you have to go outside at night and it's dark. And you want the clarity that a flashlight can give you. The difference between stumbling around outside at night when something's in the chicken coop or whatever's going on, you're checking on the cattle and you're having to walk through the woods or whatever may draw you outside at night. The difference between having that flashlight versus not. Psalms, 109, Psalms 119, 105 explains to us that God has given us a light for this darkness, cloudiness in our judgment. It says, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. I love this quote by Hebert or Hybert. I'm not quite sure how to say his last name here, but the quote goes like this. The acuteness of the believer's Spiritual perception is dependent upon the spirituality of his or her daily walk. Did you catch that? In other words, it is clear what we should do when our spiritual perception, when we are anchored in embracing the good in our relationship and salvation in Jesus Christ, his word to us, a relationship with him through prayer, that fogginess is gone. That darkness is gone in those moments and in those times. And honestly, if we're going to err on anything wouldn't you rather be standing before the throne of God someday, erring on the side of, I missed out on watching that movie. I missed out on an affair of the heart in a relationship with somebody I shouldn't be having. I missed out on fill in the blank. Wouldn't you rather be standing before him and being able to say that instead of wondering It's kind of like my theological you know, position on a lot of things. People ask me, what do you believe and what camp do you land on? And it's like, if at all possible, I want to err on God getting more glory and being more sovereign than me having more say. And if I get to heaven and God goes, you know what? You had a little bit more say than you really gave yourself credit for. Okay. Did I not honor, you know, as long as my motive of my heart is to glorify him. <laughs> is that, you know, you know what I'm saying here? It's kind of like that. If we're going to err anywhere, wouldn't we want to err on glorifying him and knowing what we know would versus the maybes? The Bible is a light that will give us the clarity when we can't see clearly through the night of confusion, and prayer is like the switch that turns that light on. The Bible is the light, and prayer is like the switch that turns the light on. Hand in hand, working together, 
And the reason I say that is because not that one is more important than the other, but prayer is what aligns our heart and our will with God. And it's through prayer that we ask the Holy Spirit to guide us, to teach us, to counsel us through his word. Has anybody else pondered on the scripture maybe their whole life or for seasons and wondering what is this all about? What does this mean? And then all of a sudden one day the switch came on. If you haven't had that happen, spend more time in the Word. And then in verses 16 through 18, no wonder Paul says that we should rejoice always. Pray constantly, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And in his letter to his spiritual son, Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.16, that scripture, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. Our part in this is equipping ourselves with God's word, the light. Pick up the light. You got the flashlight on the shelf before you go outside at night. But we go outside without it, and then we stub our toe and trip and fall. Whose fault was that? (laughs) We didn't pick it up. It's there. It's there. And then prayer. When we choose to not pray, we have the light in our hand, we're just not switching it on. With the light, with the switch of light, through the word of God, through our prayer, we will be able to embrace the good on the daily, moment-by-moment basis. We will be able to avoid the evil that comes along to try to cloud our judgment, to bring in the night, we will be able to very clearly and quickly answer the question that John Piper is known to have asked his kids often when they asked if they could do something. Is what you're doing, what you want to do, will it hinder your relationship with Christ? Will it hinder your walk? Will this hinder you? If it's going to, why? Why in this short bump on the timeline of eternity of this life of 20, 30, 60, 80 years, whatever we get, would we make a decision in this very short time that affects all eternity? Parents of kids and even friends, you look at their situations and how often do we see them make a choice that we're going, you don't want to make this choice this will affect you the rest of your life and in the mind of the kid they have no clue (laughs) they don't they don't have the years of experience under their belts yet to know and we're longing and pleading for them to make the right choice because they have no idea what it's going to do them this is this is god's desire for us it's not why he says to not do these things that can feel good for a short term, can be fun for a little bit. He's saying, 
I see all of eternity. I know how I created you in your mother's womb. Don't do this. Not because I'm wanting to stifle you or to keep you from having fun. Because there is so much more for you. There is so much better for you when you embrace the good and avoid the evil. I recently heard a song. I think it's been out for a while after I looked it up um, and I didn't realize that it hadn't affected me before. But the lyrics in the song go, Tomorrow's freedom is today's surrender. Tomorrow's freedom is today's surrender. Isn't that profound? Once in a while, there's a really good song that comes along and you just hit it and you just go, you got to pause it. You're like, I got to chew on that for a little bit. That was me with this one. We'll play that here in a minute. And the words will be on the screen. While that's playing, could I ask you to chew on it? Could I ask you to embrace the good, avoid the evil? Could I ask you to pray and ask God where in your life you need to embrace that good and avoid the evil more? Instead of giving in to that temptation again, embracing the good, embracing it with all of your might, white-knuckled fingernails dug in. You can stay in your chair. If you would feel more comfortable to come up here, you're welcome. This isn't pastor-only zone or anything like that. If you would like somebody to pray with you and for you, I would love to. I know Tony would. I know Gary would. I know Kurt in the back would. And I know there's many others I'm not even mentioning here. I'm just throwing out names that you've seen up here recently. People that might be familiar faces. I know Miss Nancy would love to. If you want to know what this means to embrace the good, the source of good, Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, don't delay. Why continue on without that? Why continue on without the good? That more than anything. You can do in the quietness of your heart, of your chair. You can do it up front. You could say, I don't even know where to begin. And any one of these people I've pointed out and mentioned, myself included, I'd love to share our Savior, our friend, with you. So, I'm going to go ahead and pray for our time of food and fellowship. And if you're done and you just feel like you would just need to get a jump start on the line, I'm not going to keep you. <laughs> But uh, feel free to take advantage of this moment because I have a feeling that most of us throughout the rest of the week, life speeds back up to cruising altitude and we don't get many times like this. So, Father, this morning we 
We have heard from you through your word, the spoken word, that we would not shame it or despise it, Father. God, that we would embrace you, the good. And God, you are good. And I, I realize that there are times in our life it does not feel like good. There are hard things going on. And yet scripture tells us that you are still sovereign and you are still good throughout it. And when we look at eternity, good is the end. It's the end goal and there is still good even in the trial. Lord, we need your strength. We need your help in order to be able to rejoice always, to pray constantly, to give thanks in all things to avoid evil. Help us, Lord, through your Holy Spirit, through your word, through prayer, through the encouragement of each other. Lord, I just lift up our time of being able to pray and reflect. Lord, if there's somebody that needs to talk to somebody, that you give them courage to do so. Lord, I thank you for our time of fellowship and your provision of the food. I ask for your blessing and favor over those who have, who have prepared it for us. In your precious and holy name.